Welcome to the podcast, Amazing Tales from Off and On Connecticut's Beaten Path, and I'm your host, Mike Allen. And this week, one of the commissioners in the state government in Hartford says our guest today has the best job in Connecticut, and I'd have to agree. Blaze Clementi is the master ferry captain of the longest-running ferry boat service, not just in Connecticut, but in the entire United States. It started way back in the 1600s, and you can still get a ride on it to this very day for an incredibly reasonable price. Blaze is going to have all sorts of stories about the Rocky Hill Glastonbury Ferry, and they'll make you want to put this ride at the top of your bucket list. This week's trivia question. The question is, what Connecticut town did the late Carol Spinney call home? Carol Spinney, you probably know, played Big Bird on Sesame Street, and we'll have the answer for you right after the program. Coming up, driving the oldest ferry boat in the United States. I'm Kathy Hermes with Connecticut Explored Magazine. In print and in our podcast, Grading the Nutmeg, we bring you fresh, fascinating, and inspiring stories of the people and places in Connecticut. If you're a regular listener to Amazing Tales, we know you'll love our podcast. Interviews with authors, historians, and changemakers co-hosted by the State Historian Emeritus and the publishers of Connecticut Explored. Available wherever you get your podcasts and at ctexplored.org. Check it out. When we want to get somewhere, we just get in our car, drive over the roads, over the bridges, and get to our destination. But what if there were no bridges? How would we get across those pesky rivers? Well, that's what European settlers had to deal with in New England when they got here in the 1600s. Lots of rivers, but no bridges. So they built ferries. Not like we have today. They were rafts and small boats, and they used them to transport people and livestock and crops from one side of a river to another. Well, in 1655, more than 350 years ago... Colonial settlers started a ferry service between Rocky Hill, Connecticut, and Glastonbury. Back then, like all ferries in the state, it was family-owned under a state charter that was granted so that they could charge fees to cover their costs. Well, in colonial days, there were actually quite a few ferry operations around the state. All have gone by the wayside except for two, the Rocky Hill-Glastonbury one, which is the country's oldest, and the Chester Hadlime Ferry, also crossing the Connecticut River, which is about 100 years younger. Well, today they're not owned by families. They're owned by you, the taxpayers, through the Connecticut Department of Transportation. And today we have the master ferry captain of the oldest ferry service in the country, Blaise Clementi. He's been associated with the operation for two decades, and he rose to his current position four years ago. You're the master ferry captain of the oldest running river ferry in the country, not just Connecticut, but in the country. Does that ever cross your mind when you're at work? Every day, Mike, I understand the importance of that ferry, and it is and continue will be an honor and a privilege to run it. Now, I think about the historic significance of that ferry, not every crossing, but every single day. Now, when you and I met, I came down to get my first ride on the ferry boat and to see you and talk to you. And you opened my eyes to so many things that we're going to go through here today. I took your advice and you took me from the Rocky Hill side, which is on the west side of the river, over to the Glastonbury side. And you said, when you get off, you ought to just go and explore a little bit. It's beautiful over there. And I did do that. And as I was driving around, it dawned on me that 
I wouldn't be surprised if the Glastonbury side is pretty much the way it was back when the early settlers were there. It's undeveloped. There's some beautiful farms and whatnot. Do you ever go over there and uh, just sort of drive around? I actually live on that side of the river about three miles from the ferry. And that's why I chose to live in this area, in particular on uh, Tryon Street. So when you went down the end of Ferry Lane and you took a left or a right, if you took a left about a mile down the road, there's a plaque in the middle of a small field. And it said, says something to the effect, like, back in 1835, absolutely nothing went on here. And that puts it in perspective for me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, today, the ferry carries cars, pedestrians, bicyclists, but... Back in the day, they were carrying livestock. You guys, and we're going to get into this in a second, have an absolutely spectacular, just completely untarnished safety record. It's really very remarkable. We'll talk about that in a second. But oh, hold on, hold on, Mike. I gotta, I gotta find a piece of wood. Okay, I'll say we can continue. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to jinx you here. Uh, but when I asked you, you know, what was the biggest emergency you ever came uh, across? I think it was a dog overboard. Could you tell me about that? Two years ago, I wasn't on board, but as my captains reported uh, it to me, you know, a couple came on with their, most likely a Labrador, and they were just going for a ride, and a Labrador slipped the collar and slid under the fence. You know, so my captains, uh, as they're trained to do, as we drill every single month, they put forth a man overboard drill, and I'd say within three to four minutes, that dog was back up on the boat. Wow. Well, you do run a very you know tight ship, no no pun intended there, actually, but uh, it really is it's very clear from the moment you get there and arrive that you guys are on top of the game. But I've got to tell you, when I was down there, and okay, I was, it was my first time, but I was just so overwhelmed by how beautiful it is and all the spectacular scenery as you go across the river, and I kept thinking to myself, I'd probably be tempted to daydream you can't do that. You've got to be on top of your game all the time. No daydreaming. Captain is responsible for everything. That's the bottom line. That's how I prepare. That's how my other captains prepare. In addition, I've got two mates that are safety conscious. DOT is all about safety, whether it's on a ferry or on the road. Sometimes we do get caught in conversations that we have to cut short, which we don't like to do. But even the passengers know we're about to pull in. Everybody just awaits the arrival. If I was surprised when I came down there, I think the surprise I had was, I, I don't know why I was thinking this, but I was thinking a ferry boat would be a single sort of structure or item or floating device. You actually have a boat attached to a barge. Could you describe how that works? As far as I know, we're the only tug and barge, which is a ferry. It's called towing on the hip. We have our lines and we move our lines and move that barge and get it across. I want to take a step back in history because this was, I think, remarkable. In the old days, they had, I guess it would you would call it a barge or, you know, a raft of some sort. And in the middle was a horse that I'm trying to visualize this for the audience, you know, sort of like a hamster with a running wheel or maybe a human on a bicycle. The horse was powering the barge. I mean, you've heard about this, right? Oh, I've heard about it, read about it, seen pictures of it. You had the horse, uh, actually not in the middle of the boat, but off to the side, and it was on a treadmill, very similar to your uh, gerbil scenario, hamster scenario. And the horse would be led by the proverbial carrot. 
and it would continue to walk and walk and it would turn the propeller shaft. That's how they ran that barge for quite a few years. That's an amazing story. When you uh, see like a line of cars waiting, you know, at the to, to go across, and I'm sure occasionally you get a, a backup and you've got to just go back and forth, back and forth to work down that backup. How many cars, people, bicycles can you put on there? What's your capacity for the barge on any given run? Uh, well, you're right about the lines, specifically on a weekend. We open at 1030 and close at 5, and there are cars lined up on every single crossing. Some people are waiting 30 minutes for a four-minute ride. It's uh, really a testimony to how nice that is. But our capacity, we take three cars, and we're allowed 19 passengers. We have to count every car that comes on, the passengers in the cars. It's first come, first serve. So. If there are five bikes in line first and three cars behind, we load the bikes first. And then assuming that there are less than 14 people in the three cars, they can all come on. And I can see why there would be a long wait. It's a wonderful ride and it's an unbelievably reasonable price. I mean, when I came down to see you, it was a weekday and it was five, five bucks. I mean, I, you know, you can't even see a movie for five bucks. For sure. And uh, the higher gas prices go, the busier we are. Oh, I'll bet. How far, you know, if I didn't take the ferry and I wanted to cross the river, say, north or south, how much further out of my way am I going? That ferry ride saves 14 miles, point to point. Unbelievable. And bicyclists, I guess, find it very uh, convenient as well. Most certainly. Most certainly. As a matter of fact, uh, every October, there's a ferry to ferry run. Starts in Rocky Hill, down to Chester, across the Chester Ferry, then up. And there's usually about 200, 225 bikes that take that journey. That sounds like a lot of fun. Although it's probably pretty frustrating if you're the last bike before you get on the, the ferry and have to watch the rest of your competitors go across in front of you. But anyway. No, no, you're right. You're not right. It's not It's not a competitive ride. However, you know, when they ride down to Chester, Chester can take 49 people total of. And then when you get to Rocky Hill, it's only 19. And plus you have to accommodate the cars. So they sit in Rocky Hill for quite a time as compared to taking the Chester Ferry. When you talk about the impact of the tides, the river current, and even the far away dams on the Connecticut River. So, you know, as the fish swims, it's 37 miles from your ferry to Long Island Sound. And yet what you told me was that high tide, low tide at at Long Island Sound actually impacts your operation as well. Can you explain that? Certainly. It's all got to do with elevation. Uh, Rocky Hills elevation is 17 feet above sea level, so there's still plenty of momentum for that water to come up. It's a tidal river. We have uh, two low tides, two high tides in a 24-hour period. Water's always flowing. Now, the other thing that I'm sure I'm not the only person who was surprised or would be surprised to hear this, but the dam's way further upstream having it like i'm we're talking new hampshire in fact i was surprised to find out that the water that's dammed there actually helps supply electricity to quebec if i if i have that right so you have to be aware of all these things right if they open the dam to let out some flood water or something that impacts you Oh, absolutely. Fortunately, there is a prediction of the height of the river from the beginnings up at the Connecticut Lakes all the way down to Long Island Sound. They give you a 72-hour forecast 
And we have to monitor that every single day. We monitor the rain, we monitor the snow melt because it all affects us. And yes, I, it's my understanding there are about 20 dams on the Connecticut River and out of their uh, major tributaries. The reservoirs that are behind the dams, the federal government regulates the level. And if it gets too high, then they're opening the dams. And if it gets too low, they're not opening the dams. This past summer was the lowest water level probably in 30 years because there was no rain up north. So they did not open the dams caused major problems for us at low tide when the river level was at its lowest. We could not pull in to the Rocky Hillside and we could not leave with three cars because we couldn't pull off the bottom. How bad does a weather event have to be before it shuts down the ferry service? I mean, a two to three inch rainstorm, will that do it? It depends where the rain is, Mike. If the rain is local, it has no effect whatsoever. If the rain comes from Vermont, New Hampshire, it does affect us. Two to three inches of rain in mid-New Hampshire slash Vermont, that's a three to four foot river rise by the time it gets to us. And depending upon the river level at the beginning of the storm, we may have to close because of high water. The river was much wider, so it was not so prone to flooding. So tell me more about that. How, how do we know that? My understanding is in the mid-1700s and the mid-1800s, there were two hurricanes that came through the Connecticut River that changed the course of the river. For instance, you see where we crossed And when you went out the other side, down the end of Ferry Lane, and you came to Tryon Street, that was all river. It's such beautiful farmland now because it was all underwater. Additionally, I don't know the year, and I actually never checked this factually, but the people from Wethersfield who come across tell me that the reason that the capital of Connecticut was moved from Wethersfield to Hartford was because they woke up one day after those hurricanes, and they were no longer on the river, which is why we have Wethersfield Cove. The only other reason we shut down pretty much is winds. High winds shut us down. It's not safe to run. So I'm assuming because you have a fare or fee for commuters of $3 a crossing, which means you obviously have regular customers. I'm just hazarding a guess. They've got to get pretty good at predicting when you're running and not as well. They are. They're very good at it. I have people that I've known since the first day I worked on the ferry that still come across every single day. They're well inclined to pay attention. If they're signed up for alerts, when we call in that we're closed, they get an immediate alert on their phone. One of the other interesting things, so again, I took your advice and when I got over to Glastonbury, I drove south and I went over the Chester Hadline Ferry. And uh, you were absolutely right. There was a button for me to push that told them on the other side, hey, I'm here. You don't have quite the same technology. You rely sometimes on people waving their arms. Yeah, pretty much. And we always have to keep an eye out. It's easy to see our walk-on passengers in the Rocky Hill Ferry than it is in the Chester Ferry. Those things are changing too, Mike. The uh, state is going to be doing some capital improvements on both sides of the river related to our slips. They don't have plans to put in a button to alert us, but they are going to be cleaning up the ground, so to speak. As you say, it's a four-minute ride from Rocky Hill to Glastonbury, roughly about a quarter mile, give or take. You have a little chance to chat with some of the passengers along the way. Uh, Are they, like I was, just, you know, amazed and happy and smiling and and so happy to be on that ferry? Every single passenger. 
I know it doesn't sound possible, but everybody who gets on that boat, they love that four-minute ride. The commuters in particular, it's decompression at the end of the day or getting ramped up in the morning. All the years that I've been on the boat, and I can specifically remember there was only ever one person who ever came on that boat who was not happy, and that was years ago, and they eventually stopped coming. You also made a comment to me about no two crossings are the same. Now, I can understand that the weather changes from day to day, but literally from crossing to crossing? The river changes from crossing to crossing. The water is always moving, particularly on the Rocky Hill side. The Rocky Hill side basically is the channel of the river. I know it doesn't sound possible, but every single crossing is different. You can't take anything for granted or assume the river is going to be the same as when it was 10 minutes ago. Tell us about the response. I know the state of Connecticut at at one point was saying, yeah, I think we've kind of had it with this ferry service. Now we're going to pack it in. And the response from the community was not very positive to that, was it? No, and it never has been. See, So like I said, I've been there 19 years. I came in in 04 when former Governor Rowland was doing all cutback. And at that time, the Save the Ferry organization was founded. And I believe in the 04, 05 area, there were 7,000 responses slash complaints to the state from both sides of the river. And that was stopped. And then the last time they talked about stopping that, that was under the beginning of Governor Malloy. And my understanding is that the governor's office received so many calls that they immediately put a stop to curtailing any ferry service. People at Glastonbury and Rocky Hill uh, deservedly need and love that ferry. I once described you as having the best job in Connecticut. Was I right? Absolutely. I say that to anybody who asks, and even if it's unsolicited, I make sure everybody knows it. I do have the best job in the state of Connecticut. As a matter of fact, the DOT commissioner, uh, Joe Gioletti, when he first came in, came down. I said, Commissioner, I think you've got the best job in the state. And he turned to me, no lie, and said, no, you do. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. up this episode of amazing tales from off and on connecticut's beaten path you owe it to yourself to try out the rocky hill glastonbury ferry just take it on a weekday if you can to avoid the wait but even if you have to wait a half hour for that four minute ride well worth the experience just keep in mind it's only open from april through november so check ahead to make sure it's running next week on amazing tales ct did you know that connecticut used to own part of Ohio. Well, the story behind the Case Western Reserve is one you certainly won't want to miss. The answer to this week's trivia question, the late Carol Spinney, who was the original Big Bird on Sesame Street and played the character for nearly 50 years before passing away in his 80s, called Woodstock, Connecticut his home. If you like the show, make sure you follow the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and tell your family, friends, and colleagues to do the same. Amazing Tales from Off and On, Connecticut's Beaten Path is a production of True North Associates, LLC. This is Mike Allen. Be safe and stay healthy.